Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rhodes? Well, we're going, we don't need Rhodes. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No, I am your father. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And this marks the 18th episode of our little show here. 18 episodes. Can you believe it, Phil? I can't. It doesn't, it's just flown by as well. Yeah, you know, if you haven't listened to all 18 episodes, I'm going to go ahead and personally recommend that you go back, download all of them, and binge listen. I know that's not a term like binge watch is, but I think we should make it a term. Yeah, it's a, that's a good term. Binge listen. Right? Binge listen. I mean, I don't mind if you do it for other podcasts or not, but I think you should definitely binge listen to all of our past episodes because, frankly, you don't know what you're missing if you, haven't been, if you haven't been following along the whole time. Yeah, it's every single one is a work of pure genius for your ears. There there you go. You'll find it soothing, and it will help you through the rough times that we all face. That's right. It's Calming Vapors will help you find relaxation unlike anything you've ever experienced before. That's it. Exactly. Something like that. People will pay good money to go to a a spa, but, you know, we're giving you all for free. That's right. You can just plug us into your ears and and listen to our dulcet tones. (laughs) You know, you get the same therapeutic effect you get from a spa visit, but we're way cheaper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we certainly are. Well, anyway, as we said, this is our 18th episode. We are chugging right along. And tonight we have some fun movies to talk about. Phil, why don't you tell everybody what we're going to be discussing in this episode? In this episode tonight, we will be going for a drive with Ryan Gosling through the streets of L.A. And then we will be going to Steven Spielberg's E.T., the extraterrestrial phone home and all that jazz. (laughs) And also we're going to be discussing the top 10 films of 1981, which I think is going to be a pretty interesting year. We'll see where Phil and I come in in our movies. I'm betting we're going to have some some differences of opinion there. I think so, but while we've just been talking, I've just remembered there was a film that was meant to be on the list, which isn't, so I'm just quickly rejigging it. So it's this is live, folks. Well, it's live when we're recording it, but... It's all good. It's still, listen, this is still on the fly stuff. This is exciting. Like, this is, you know, I feel yeah. my pulse rate rising. It's just, you don't get stuff like this on live radio. I mean, actually, you yeah, do. Yeah, you but, do. You know. But imagine, just imagine somebody's come rushing in with a piece of paper out of breath and handed me this thing. <laughs> just like in the movies, yeah. right? Like in broadcast and it says, I've forgotten this film, and it's gone, oh, yeah, she writes quickly. Quick, change all the numbers. I like it. I think we're painting a visual picture for people in their heads right now, Phil. We absolutely are. And that's, that's what we do. When we're not therapeutically relaxing you, we paint pictures in your mind. So imagine... Imagine a room where two men are sitting, talking and chatting, and around them uh, is a busy office full of staff all working for them, bringing them hot drinks whenever they need them and soothing balms for their brow after they've been thinking hard about what could possibly happen at the end of all those movies. Oh, I, I like it. I'm getting chills just listening to you, mm-hmm. Phil. That's amazing, isn't it? It really is. All right. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we move along before we lose all those listeners who have been with us for all eighteen episodes? And uh, let's get into our our movies. Phil, why don't you start things off by taking us for a little drive? Yes, I uh, thank you. This is 2011's Drive, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Refn, Refn. I believe it's Refn. Refn. Yeah. I mean, listen, when you have a name that's spelled R-E-F-N, I feel like we can take yeah. whatever liberties we want in how we pronounce it. Yeah, let's call him Nick. There you <laughs> go, Nick. It stars, it's got a really good cast. Ryan Gosling, Carrie Mulligan, Oscar Isaac, Brian Cranston, Christina Hendricks, 
Albert Brooks, Ron Perlman. So that is, he did put together a really good cast for it. Absolutely. Okay. The driver, played by Ryan Gosling, is never given a name. He repairs cars, does stunt driving in movies, and he's also a getaway driver for hire. But he has a code where he'll only give the uh, the thieves a five-minute window. If they're too late, he'll go. Shannon, played by uh, Brian Cranston, is his boss at uh, the repair shop, but also arranges these nighttime jobs. Driver gets to know his new neighbour, Irene, played by Carrie Mulligan, and her son, Benicio, and her husband, Standard, played by Oscar Isaac, is in jail, but he soon, he soon gets released as the film progresses. Shannon talks to some mobsters, uh, Bernie, played by Albert Brooks, and Nino, played by Ron Perlman, as he wants to, them to put money in to buy a stock car for driver to race. Uh, once Standard is released, he, we find out he owes money to some Albanian... Once Standard is released, we find he owes money to some Albanian mobsters, and they force him to rob a pawn shop, and they expect him to bring $40,000. Driver, who struck up a friendship with Irene, is worried about her and her son, so he helps Standard as a getaway driver. So there he is, the driver with Standard and a girl called Blanche, played by Christina Hendricks. So Standard and Blanche go in to rob the store, and they come running out while Driver's waiting for in the car, and he spots another car, which looks a bit suspicious. As they, uh, they come running out, Standard is shot and killed by the pawn shop owner. Blanche gets in the car with the bag of money, and after they escape, uh, they then drive off and get chased by this car, but they manage to escape because Driver is an excellent driver and they hole up in a hotel motel room turns out that the money they stole is actually one million dollars and it isn't being reported on the news so it's all a bit strange driver threatens blanche who reels they were going to steal the money from standard and driver some bad guys turn up and end up killing blanche but driver gets away and finds the albanian mob boss in a strip club and then uses a hammer uses a hammer in an imaginative way to hurt him so the albanian mobster says Nino, that's Ron Perlman's character, was behind the robbery. Driver tries to return the money and call the whole thing off, but Nino refuses and sends a hitman to get him. Driver's with Irene at the time. He's standing in a lift when the hitman enters. And after quite a cool little fight, Driver kills the hitman. But Irene, seeing the violence that Driver's involved in, runs away in shock. Nino tells Bernie about the robbery and how the money was actually from the East Coast Mafia and that they now need to kill everyone involved so they can get away with it. Bernie's a bit worried because he you knows the East Coast Mafia are going to Come, come looking for revenge. Bernie kills Shannon when he refuses to tell him where Driver is. Driver tracks down Nino and chases chases him into the sea where Nino drowns. He then calls Irene and tells her that meeting her was the best thing that ever happened to him. And then he goes off to meet Bernie in a restaurant to return the money. Bernie says that Irene will be safe, but Driver will always be on the run and have to watch his back. Then they go out into the car park where Bernie tries to kill Driver and stabs him in the stomach. Driver fights back and stabs Bernie in the neck, killing him. He leaves the money with him, and Driver drives off into the night. The end. I have never seen more people not want a million dollars yes. in my entire yeah. life. It's like the whole movie is him trying to give away this million dollars, and nobody wants it. And then at the end, he just leaves it there. I'm like, really, people? And it's, it is crazy. When he says, I've got this money, take it back. It's just, yeah. yeah. I suppose it's that thing. Once you've stolen something, and you know there's even worse people than you who will do anything to get it back, then you're going, well, actually, it's not really worth it. Right, right. I know, I know. It's just one of those things where it's But a million dollars, a million dollars. When you're stabbed in the stomach, a million dollars goes a long way towards helping you get patched yeah. up. You That's know? what I, I was surprised. It just didn't take a handful of it, at least, to, cover, right. to put right. in a shirt and, like, pad the wound. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Pay the underworld doctor who's going to patch him yeah. up, you know. Oh, don't go on like that. That's a, that could be oh, my sorry. ending. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Oh, I was only joking. So what have All you got right. then for your day after? 
All right, so the day after, Irene and Benicio return to their apartment. With no word from the driver, she assumes that he's dead. Unsure of what's going on, but knowing that her husband had been mixed up with the wrong people, she packs up their meager belongings and flees the city, going back to her estranged mother's house. Meanwhile, the driver drives. In the morning, he stops by a fast food restaurant for breakfast, but is perturbed when he realizes he can't order from the drive through menu without speaking, <laughs> something he tries never to do under any circumstances. So he goes inside and just points at the menu <laughs> and gets his breakfast. <laughs> I guess I should explain, for people who haven't seen the movie or maybe they haven't seen it in a while, Ryan Gosling has about three words of dialogue in this film. Uh, it's actually one of my biggest contentions with it because there's a scene where he's in Carrie Mulligan's apartment and they're supposed to, like, bond and whatever, but he literally doesn't say two words to her. And it's the most uncomfortable thing I've ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. And I'm like, you know, any normal human would have kicked him out a long time ago, been like, well, got to go, got to take the kid to school now. Thanks for stopping by. Enjoy your juice. Have a great day. But they just sit there in awkward silence, and it's really – it really bugs the crap out of me. I'm not going to lie. So, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, if somebody is not talking to that extent, you would go, it's a bit strange, this. It's just – when you watch it, to me, it just screams style over substance, which I think is actually Nicholas Winding Refn's whole – thing I'm, I'm not really a huge fan of his so far but and i know that a lot of people really like him but um i you know to me it was one of those things where it was like this would never happen in real life because people hate awkward silences and even somebody who's like cool and collected and, and doesn't like to talk a lot then carrie mulligan would have filled in the blanks and like i said she would have made some excuses and gotten out of there or something it's just it was it's so awkward and i just anyway so that's why my driver uh doesn't hasn't said a whole lot so far in his in his day after all right so what about you phil what's your day after Oh, crap. I lost you, didn't I? No, I was just being like the oh. driver. <laughs> <laughs> well, you good. You got you got me, Phil. Thanks for that. Okay. So I'm going to be doing my day after. Now you know I have to leave that in because it was funny, but people are going to think I'm an idiot. No, so. no, I'll just maybe cut it a bit more. But right. uh, here's my day after. It's, I'm going to tell it as, the, as if the driver's telling us it. Okay, great. Well, I like what you're doing there, Phil. I like, yeah, I like that last bit. That yeah, I really, I really felt it. You'll you know really I mean? like this next bit. <laughs> oh, it's, in, it's intense, man. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> it's intense. Okay, well, let's let's forget what the driver says. Is what happened. Uh, all uh, right. Irene keeps checking to see if driver's back, but he never returns. Driver heads off east, and at the first town he comes to, he manages to find a doctor willing to sort out his stomach wound without asking too many questions. Because in films and things, they always criminals. If there's any criminals out there, please don't get in touch. But I'm just wondering, you know, is it that easy to find, you know, a backstreet doctor who will stitch you up? Apparently it is because in every movie yeah. it, it happens. But but again, there you go. Don't you think it would have been easier yeah. if Ryan Gosling had a pile of cash to throw at said doctor yeah. that he had taken from the bag rather than just leaving it all there? Yeah, true. Well, maybe did he have – we never really see whether he had any money put away, did we? Because he's I'm, doing all I'm sure jobs. he did. Yeah. That's kind of his thing to be prepared, but yeah. I don't know still. Yeah. Okay, uh, Bernie's body uh, with the money is quickly found and the police are called in and uh, they start investigating it. Driver decide, well, after being stitched up, driver decides to just follow the road and see where he ends up. And that's my day after. Very nice. What have we got for your immediate aftermath? All right, well, the driver, whose name is Bentley Ford McLaren, ends up in Vancouver. <laughs> where the <laughs> You like that? <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he ends up in Vancouver, where the burgeoning television industry means he'll be able to find a job as a stuntman. It takes a while for him to find a job, though, mostly because his refusal to speak during job interviews means that most people won't hire him. 
but eventually he runs across an assistant director who worked on some of his previous films and ends up giving him a job. He spends the next couple of years working in stunts and retires from the getaway business. Eventually, the show he's working on, a police drama about a police psychiatrist called Cops and Sobbers, introduces <laughs> a new character. A po- <laughs> Sorry. thought I could make it through, but I realize how ridiculous that sounds when you say it out loud. Cops and Sobbers. Right? But that's a good name for a show about a, a, a police shrink, you know? You know, because you've got the police psychiatrist and then the therapy patients, they might cry when they're revealing their deepest feelings. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So anyway, so Cops and Sobbers introduces a new character, a police officer who goes mute from suffering PTSD after he accidentally kills the kitten he's trying to get out of the tree for the little girl. The producers are so impressed by his silent performance in his audition that he instantly wins the role. And that's where we'll leave it for now. Very good. I like it. All right. How about your immediate afternoon? Okay. I've got driver has been driving and he keeps driving. There's a lot of driving going on. And while he's driving, the dude abides? Yeah, well, no, no. The dude's not abiding at the minute. Oh. He's driving. He's probably on a bus. Right. (laughs) He's just going past on a bus as the driver's driving. So driver's driving from town to town. That sounds so strange, like driver's driving. (laughs) So he's going from town to town. He stops off and works as a mechanic when he needs to make some bit of money. And every once in a while... He acts as a getaway driver. However, he tries to keep that to a minimum as he no longer has Shannon acting as a middleman for him. He keeps himself to himself and doesn't really follow the news. Turns out the new president that came to power has caused numerous problems and US society begins to crumble. It takes time to show the full effects in the small towns that driver's been going, hiding out in, but it soon catches up with him. Society begins to slow slide backwards. So, Phil, let me just get this straight. So you're saying that the American society is going to crumble because the person elected president is, uh, shall we say, uh, less than qualified for the job. Is, is that what I'm getting from this? Either less than qualified or they've got lots of secrets and deals with the people and it turns out that they've been stabbed in the back by the people who they thought were supporting them. It could be one or the other. I, I don't know where you could pull this type of... It is, does know, seem a bit far-fetched in this it, day yeah, and age. It really does. I mean, I don't, I don't see how that could happen. But you could, you could but, have, like, the president could either be somebody who doesn't have a clue what's going on and just says whatever comes into the head, or right. somebody who keeps changing the mind and is hiding things and lying. But that's, right. you know, it's never going to happen in real life. No, I, I don't think that that, I, none of that sounds realistic at all. I mean, listen, I know these are fictional endings and all, mm. but let's try and keep it somewhat based on okay, realism. Next, okay, next time, you know, I'll try and come right. with a more realistic right. president. All right. Maybe there could be a... I was going to say it was going to be the peasant was a former movie actor. Would that be really stupid? Oh, yeah. Like that would ever happen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> or the son of another guy who's been a president. Yeah, that doesn't. You know. No. Now you're, you're just getting crazy here. I know. Phil. I know. Yeah. So society begins a slow slide backwards. And that's my immediate aftermath. All right. Very good. So where, what's going to happen with your long term? All right. Well, Cops and Sobbers goes on to become a major network hit, and The Driver becomes an overnight sensation, winning an Emmy and a People's Choice Award in his first season on the show. I'd love to see his expect- acceptance speech. Well, that's <laughs> funny you mentioned that. Oh, sorry. Go on. Forget to say that. He's applauded at the award shows for the fact that he doesn't give speeches when he wins. <laughs> One night, Irene is watching TV with Benicio, who's now a tween, and she sees Bentley on TV. Realizing that she's still in love with him, she makes a spur-of-the-moment trip to Vancouver and tracks him down. While he's filming, she makes her way onto the soundstage. When he finishes shooting his scene, she tells him that she's been in love with him all this time. He responds by staring at her and not saying a word. Irene realizes that he's the perfect man because he'll never disagree with her. He'll never embarrass her with dad jokes. He'll, he'll never have a conflicting opinion to hers. So she rushes into his arms, kisses him passionately, and walks off into the sunset arm-in-arm with the man of her dreams. Ah, uh, you big softy. 
<laughs> yeah, what can I say? Yeah. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for a, a happy ending. But you of know, course, that's the reason why he does go. I'm not for the fact he looks like you know Ryan Gosling. <laughs> well, yeah, that has, that has nothing <laughs> to do with it at all. I'm sure. I'm sure it's 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 his scintillating conversation. Yeah. I think that really that really won her over. It is speaking of that though. It's funny the amount of people who tell me how much I look like Ryan Gosling. Isn't that you know you what know, I get Brad Pitt all oh, the yeah. time. Oh yeah, well that's I sometimes get Brad Pitt. If I get one there. more person asking me for my autograph, thinking I'm Brad Pitt, I I'm telling you. Yeah. Also, you know uh, Ryan Reynolds. Oh yeah. Yep. I sometimes get that as well. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. I hear you. I hear you. I know it's a tough life we lead, isn't it? Yeah. I know. It's. I, I don't know how I cope with it sometimes, but I manage to get through. It, you are. It's. It's. It's actually humbling, Phil, to see how how well you deal with it. I do try and stay humble, but it is it is hard when you're cursed with with luck such as this. Well, listen, you know, I mean, we're not all a golden god like you are, but, you know, I mean, I, I appreciate you just letting me bask in your glow. Yeah, well, you know, it's, you're not far off. You know, you just need to, uh, you know, just do a few more, you know, crunches and, you know, maybe right. some fake tan and things like that. I'll, I'll try and work on that, yeah. Phil. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So how about, uh, how about your long term? Why don't you, uh, why don't you drive it home? Oh, okay. <laughs> the puns let's, continue. Let's put the pedal to the metal and uh, let's go. All right. The majority of people in, in the U.S. are just trying to survive. Many of the major cities have become deserted as people head out into the wilderness in search of food. However, as it's America, guns and fuel are still prevalent, but it's now almost a Wild West type society in many places. Rather than being upset by this, the driver revels in it. He still wanders around the U.S., but is now a modern-day outlaw with an automobile as a steed. He's now a road warrior, a man with no name, helping those who need it before moving on as the road never ends. Oh, I like that. A very, like, you know, kind of modern Western gunslinger type of feel to it. Well, yeah, because that's sort of what the the driver was a bit like in the film. The, the film kind of has a modern Western feel to it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not in terms of, obviously, the setting or the style, but it, it, if you look at it compared to a Western film, there are a lot of the same tropes and, and character archetypes and stuff like that. Oh, definitely, yeah. And it's also, there's a, there's a little bit of a, a superhero movie in it as well. Yeah, yeah, Because, you know, he's got the... He, he, he could be called Silent Man. Yeah, but he ends up putting on the scorpion coat and he's, right. he's protecting the innocents. But in, that's true. That's true. He's definitely. A bit of a psycho for doing it, but <laughs> right, a little bit of that. But yeah, I personally the, the silent psycho. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, personally though, I really enjoyed the film. Uh, but I know what you mean though about it being, you know, there's a bit more style over substance. But I think this, in this particular case, uh, Nicholas managed to to meld the two together. Quite yeah, much. I mean, this is my favorite of the films of his that I've seen. I, I do like it. I just think it's one of those movies where I watched it and I went, that was all right. That was pretty good, you know. But then when the Oscars hit that year, everyone was like, oh, my gosh, how come Drive didn't get nominated? Yeah. And I was like, well, because it's nowhere close to being one of the best films of the year. I mean, <laughs> let's all calm down for a minute here. It's not that great of a film. You know, it's it's a good film. But for me, that's where it stops. And I just, I you know, I, I, as soon as I heard people talking Oscar snub, I was like, are we talking about the same film here? Like, I... I just don't see it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's enjoyable enough. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it. Oh yeah, definitely. It's because it's uh, it does have some great scenes. I mean, I love the opening the opening scene where you, he's driving the car. Yeah, and yeah. Because it never leaves. You're you're in right. the whole car the whole time with him. It's yep. Just just a good little different. It's a bit different from normal getaway scenes. Sure, like sure, that. definitely. So uh, all right, well, Phil, why don't you tell us what trivia you've dug up about Drive? Okay, well, in the film. The driver drives a 1973 Chevy Malibu, and it turns out Ryan Gosling restored the vehicle himself just so he'd become more, you know, more in tune with it and more wow. in tune with the character. That's pretty uh, he, method. Yeah, I quite like that though. It's a good yeah, one because cool. he's often you often see him working on the car, so it's it's good to know that he actually knew right. what he was doing. He wasn't just right, just tinkering around, around, and, yeah, around yep. waving his hands. Yeah. 
Uh, Hugh Jackman was initially set to play driver. Hmm. But that didn't come through. Uh, Nicholas Winding Refn doesn't actually have a driving license and has failed his test eight times. Wow. Uh, in the run-up to the film, he got the main cast together and they all sort of lived in a house where they worked on the script and run through things and did all that kind of stuff, which I thought I thought that would be quite good. Yeah, for doing sure. That. Doing it that way, you sort of really get to know everybody then and must have been a good laugh as well. Oh, I bet. Uh, I bet you uh, Ryan Gosling, you know, was just hilarious. If he said anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I if he was getting into his character, he might yeah. not have been so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brian Cranston starred in an episode of X-Files called Drive which is a very good episode. Right. I did like that one. Uh, and Refn said the film's romance was partially inspired by the films of John Hughes. So take that, Mike. Uh, you know, <laughs> just because something is inspired by something doesn't mean that that actually ever comes across in the finished product. Well, it's it's like a modern-day breakfast club. Because, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe Refn hasn't actually seen any Hughes films, but John Hughes was really well known for his amazing dialogue, which is something that is missing from Ryan Gosling's character for pretty much the entire film. To be fair, though, I think they, when they were making it and editing it as well, I think they did cut out some of the dialogue that was in there because they realized, or they liked it more, having the the character be yeah, the I just, stoic as he was. If they made The Breakfast Club, if, if Nicholas Winding Refn directed the, the Breakfast Club, it would just be two hours of kids sitting in the library staring at each other. Yeah, like a proper right. proper detention. Right, yeah. exactly. That would not have been a great movie. So, <laughs> Anyway. All right, well, there you go. So that is Drive. We hope you enjoyed our endings. You can share your thoughts on them or your own endings, and we'll tell you how to do that in just a little bit. For now, though, let's move on to one of the biggest movies of all time, and it is... E.T. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. I know. I just, I just imagine E.T. is like a Captain Caveman cartoon kind of thing. I see. Yeah. Just okay. Imagine that Saturday morning cartoon of E.T. where he's got all kinds of superpowers. Right, right, yeah. right, right. I, that I could actually get into, believe mm. it or not. I, I yeah. dig that. You could have a crossover <laughs> with E.T. and Mr. T. <laughs> they call it E.T. squared. Yeah, or ETT. <laughs> Nobody better lay a finger on my little buddy. ET going to phone home. There you go. Thank you. That was uh, in case anybody wanted to uh, anybody wanted to record for posterity when exactly the worst Mr. T impressions in the history of the world occurred. You can now mark your yeah. calendars because I'm pretty sure we just did them. I've worked very hard to make my Mr. T impression. Well, I don't know. Last week we were killing it with our Arnold Schwarzenegger impressions, and this <laughs> day, I think we got uh, this week. I think we got Mr. T down perfect. So we are yeah. clearly. Uh, too very. It's a good thing we got our looks to rely on, Phil, because our, <laughs> our impressions are not going to take us very far. Oh, crikey. Yeah, you're not wrong there. <laughs> All right. So let's dive into E.T. then, shall we? All right. So the film starts with a group of alien botanists collecting plant samples on Earth. When government agents appear on the scene, the aliens flee and take off in their spaceship. But one alien gets left behind. A little while later, 10-year-old Elliot, played by Henry Thomas, finds E.T. hiding in his garage and lures him into his house using Reese's Pieces. I'm assuming he probably also lured in about 4,000 ants um, <laughs> because that's, I think, what happens when you leave a trail of candy into your house from outside. And, and it's also nice to see that there were, well, Elliot's brother and his friends are playing a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, so that's right. That's game. right. Yeah, there you go. The next day, Elliot begins to have a psychic connection with E.T. Elliot reveals E.T. to his little sister, Gertie, played by a very young Drew Barrymore, and his older brother, Michael, played by Robert McNaughton. But Michael notices that E.T.'s health seems to be declining. After they go out for Halloween, E.T. goes missing, and Michael finds him dying in a ditch. 
Michael brings E.T. back and finds out that Elliot is sick, too, thanks to their shared psychic connection. E.T. appears to die, but he comes back to life with a glowing finger and reveals that his people are coming back. As government authorities invade the house, Elliot and E.T. and Michael and some of his friends evade the authorities, and E.T. helps them escape by levitating Elliot's bicycle, and we see it fly in front of the moon in one of the most famous and iconic shots in film history. Is that E.T.? That is E.T., yeah. (laughs) And um, it's actually a deleted scene from Drive. Um, (laughs) Anyway, could you imagine? <laughs> it didn't really fit the tone of the rest of the That's movie. That's what they should have had in Drive. They should have had a homage to ET. Right, right where he drives and you just see the car like leaping <laughs> over a hill in LA, but it goes in front of the moon and there's uh, like the, been... the driver silhouette. It would have been beautiful. So they uh, they fly in front of the moon, and in the forest, E.T.'s spaceship arrives, as does one of the government agents who has been called Keys, thanks to his keys that you could see on his belt, uh, mm-hmm. played by Peter Coyote. Keys tells Elliot that he's been waiting to see an alien since he was 10 years old. E.T. and Elliot share a heartfelt goodbye before E.T. takes off into the stars. <laughs> Very nice. Boy, Phil, you have a lot of talents. I mean, impressions is not one of them, but you do have a lot of talents. I do have my moments when it comes to impressions, but I usually have to have had a beer or two. Uh, I got you. Yeah. yeah well, you so. maybe have to start drinking before you record the yeah. podcast. Yeah. Imagine that. There's a drunken episode <laughs> right. after the end there. All right. So that's E.T. Phil, why don't you start us off by taking us into your day after? Okay, the day after. Henry and his family are taken in by the government, where they undergo many tests and are asked many questions. Keyes tries his best to ensure they are treated well, and for the most part they are. Elliot undergoes the most tests and finds it quite difficult. However, all of these tests do result in the latent telepathy that he developed with E.T. becoming stronger and stronger. He can't control anyone, but he does find he can read how people are feeling. Meanwhile, E.T. is back on the ship and he makes his report. Everyone is dumbfounded at what happened to him. They find the violence and fear he experienced hard to understand as the universe that they live in is a a peaceful place and conflict is rare. However, the compassion that he was shown by Elliot and his family make them feel that there is hope for humanity. And that's uh, my day after. Very nice. I like it. Thank you very much. What have you got for your day after? All right. Well, Keyes and Elliot watch E.T.'s spaceship fly off. Shortly after the ship leaves, the other officers from Keyes' branch of the government show up and threaten to apprehend Elliot. Keyes goes for his gun, but finds that somehow it's been replaced by a walkie-talkie, and he's defenseless. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Thank you. A little in-joke there for the movie buffs. Yeah. He grabs Elliot, and they run, eventually losing the government agents by hiding in a hollowed-out dying tree stump. Keyes takes Elliot to a safe house and then reaches out to his family to let them know that Elliot is safe. His mom panics, but Keyes explains that he's looking out for Elliot's safety and that the man who runs his division of the government is ruthless in trying to track down aliens. And that's where we'll leave it for now. Ooh, who is the ruthless leader? Well, we'll find out shortly. So uh, why don't you take us through your immediate aftermath then, Phil? Yeah, we'll do. Oh, just for a reminder, though, for people who might be listening for the first time, neither... Michael and myself know what the other one has written for the ending, so we are as surprised, dumbfounded, shocked as you are. Yeah, sometimes confused, sometimes yeah, confused, bewildered, but you know. What the heck is this? Yeah. Right. They're all applicable. Yeah, that's yes. <laughs> okay. For my immediate aftermath, Elliot and his family have been moved to a safe house in the country. They are still virtual prisoners as they undergo test after test, but at least they can now go outside, get a bit of fresh air, things like that. Elliot's telepathy increases. He can now get a better idea of what people are thinking. He hasn't told anyone about his ability, as he knows it would mean yet more tests, although he knows it's just a matter of time before he is found out. But he decides to start pushing his abilities more and more, and finds he can increase the range, and also thinks he can send thoughts and messages to others. 
E.T. still moved by his time on Earth with concern about Elliot. He saw how he was treated and knows that humans and he knows the humans who helped him could also be in trouble. His empathic bond with Elliot, while not as strong, is still learning and he picks up Elliot's worries. He also tries to monitor the broadcast from Earth, but there are just so many. But he does get caught caught up in some of the TV shows that they pump out. One night while sleeping, E.T. dreams of Elliot and feels he is calling out to him. That's the end of my immediate aftermath. All right. So uh, what, what TV shows do you think E.T. got hooked on? Like Desperate Housewives or, you know, Well, I think, like... f- first of all, it'd be like The Muppet Show, things like that. Oh, there you go. But then he'd, uh, he'd, he'd develop, he'd get into uh, some of the dramas. I think it'd be a big uh, Game of Thrones fan. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Game of Thrones, maybe a bit of Breaking Bad. <laughs> he's, you know. he's, he's all like, winter is coming. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. More stellar impressions, man. Yeah. We are not the park. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so what have you got for your immediate aftermath? All right, well, Keyes tells Elliot that the heat will die down, but for right now, they have to disappear. As they're packing up to leave, however, a SWAT-like team breaks into Keyes' safe house. They traced Keyes' call to Elliot's mom, which Keyes didn't think would happen because he assumed that he would have known if their house was bugged or wiretapped. But apparently things happen above his pay grade. They forcefully take Elliot and Keyes to the clandestine headquarters of the DEE, the Department of Extraterrestrial Encounters. Elliot meets Keyes' boss, a gruff, harsh man with little emotion or feelings. His name is Jeremiah Mulder. Jeremiah Mulder is so obsessed with aliens that he left his pregnant wife behind years ago to devote himself entirely to tracking down alien life forms. Now he has the proof he needs to show that extraterrestrial life exists, and he wants Elliot to tell him everything he knows about E.T. and his race. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Yes. I think if we counted up the number of episodes we've tied into the X-Files, we'd, we'd probably have a pretty high number. Yeah, yeah. They seem to pop up a lot. Well, if there's any aliens that can tie it in, but no, you could, I could see the X-Files sort of tying into it. Yeah, yeah. Especially this. Anything with something like this, where there is a clandestine government agency already involved. Right. This is a little pre-X-Files because it's the 80s. Yeah, but, you yeah, know, yeah. But there you go. All right. So, Phil, why don't you take us into your long term? Okay. Long term. E.T. gets more and more messages from Elliot, who finds his telepathy can put him in touch with anyone he thinks of and can also cover vast distances. E.T. decides to help Elliot and his family, so he heads off to get some help. His race is not suited for that, so he goes to the Galactic Hub. A long time ago, it was known as Coruscant. (laughs) He knows that the Jedi Council will be able to help. Ever since they had that trouble decades before, they are now a peacekeeping force for good. (laughs) E.T. manages to convince the Jedi to help, and they send two Jedi, Hannah and Ava, to help. The three of them head to Earth. Their superior technology and skills mean that they are able to land unobserved. The Jedi incapacitate the guards and help Elliot and his family onto the waiting ship. And they explain that they are going to take them off planet for a while, where they can either stay or they will bring them back in a, a few year, few months or whatever. Whatever, however you know they decide. It's up to them. Yeah. You know, I don't know everything in this. More it's, than twelve know, parsecs, we'll say. Yeah, yeah. They sense that Elliot and his sister have great potential in the Force. And as they head off into space, they realize that their adventure is just beginning. Oh, very nice. I like that. Nice little tie-in with Star Wars. And and for those people who may not might not know, uh, Hannah is Phil's daughter and Ava is my daughter. So Yes, I thought I'd do that nice. Yes, very nice names for some Jedi. I like that because, you know, and I'm sure most people listening to this podcast know this by now, but in Star Wars, the is it the Phantom Menace they show up in? Or is I it think it's Attack the Phantom the Menace. Yeah, it's, it's the first or the second one. Yeah, yeah in, in one of the big Senate scenes, you can see where there's all the different races of aliens. You can see a little pod with three of the E.T. races in there raising their hands and, you know, shouting in unison. Uh, it's a nice little... You know, just a little Easter egg there, so that's a lot of fun. And it could also help explain a bit in E.T. when they're going to Halloween, trick-or-treating, when he sees the little Yoda 
thing. Right, right. Person, you know, maybe he did know Yoda. That's right. Maybe he did. Maybe they're good friends. Yeah. I was just going to say, don't you think this is time for another one of our awesome in- impressions? Oh, 900 years you'll be. Look as good you have not. Not bad, not bad. All right, that might be your best. <laughs> might be, yeah, good. I need a drink of water. I was just going to say that might be your best impression yet, but now you have no voice left for the rest of the episode. Oh, but I do. <laughs> oh, went a bit deep there. I was going to say it had a little bit of an accent too. Like, mm. sounded like maybe a slightly Jamaican. I do find it happens when I try and do Yoda. You just <laughs> go a bit Jamaican sometimes. Oh, there you go. Well, you know. <laughs> Rasta, Rasta Yoda, why not? <laughs> I'm sure they'll make an action figure of that eventually, you know. Yes, they they yes. do every other variant, you can imagine. Yes, yeah, so here we go then. Well, that was my long term. What have you got for your long term? All right, so Mulder, Jeremiah Mulder, is interrogating Elliot, but Elliot won't talk. Frustrated, Mulder strikes out and slaps Elliot across the face. Across the galaxy, E.T. feels Elliot's fear and pain thanks to their psychic bond. Knowing that Elliot is in danger, E.T. goes into action. A day later, E.T.'s ship lands in the forest adjacent to the D.E.E. headquarters. He uses his powers to slip into the facility and free Elliot. As they're about to return to the safety of E.T.'s ship, however, they find themselves surrounded by Mulder and his men. It was all a trap, as Mulder expected that E.T. would come back for Elliot. Oh, Mulder, you swine. (laughs) Yeah, he's not a good Mulder like his son. No. Probably smoke cigarettes. Probably. Mulder orders his men to subdue E.T. Just as they're about to put him in restraints, another of E.T.'s ships appears overhead. Mulder, Elliot, and his men stare in awe as the ship lands nearby. But more awe-inspiring is the fact that the sky is littered with spaceships landing as far as the eye can see. E.T. has convinced his people that they need to reveal themselves to the human race and build an interplanetary-interspecies relationship. In the face of overwhelming odds and impending obsolescence, Mulder lets Elliot and E.T. go. Keyes, now freed, uses his connections in the government to get Elliot and E.T. to the White House, where the two of them help begin the conversations that will lead to a new era of human understanding and spacefaring travel. Oh, very nice. And eventually it's all commemorated in a cheesy ride at Universal Studios. Yes, which it would be. <laughs> right. That's probably the best way. If aliens were going to make themselves known, if they just swamped us with spaceships. Yeah. Well, not like an Independence Day-style spaceship. Right. Well, you know, if, if you remember the spaceships in E.T., they kind of look like, you know, giant teapots or something. They're yeah. Not, they're not yeah. very threatening looking. So, yeah. uh, you know, I figure if they all land at once and they kind of come out and are like, hey, what's up? Guess what? Aliens yeah. exist, you know, then uh, yeah. then Mulder really has no point to his job anymore. So. That's true, yeah. So he can't really hide, I think. Yeah. Right. No, right. very good. I like that one. Thank you. Very nice. Thank you. All right. So tell us about some uh, extra terrific uh, trivia you might have for this film. Extra trivia? E.T. the extra trivia, maybe? Extra, extra trivia, yes. Uh, Steven Spielberg shot it mainly from the eye level of the child for most of the scenes, which I didn't realize, but yeah, I can see that working well. Uh, Harrison Ford was going to be the headmaster in the school, but the scene was cut. Uh, the sound of E.T.'s walk was made... By using a wet T-shirt stuffed with uh, jelly, or as you call it in the States, jello. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, the communicates that E.T. built actually worked. It, it actually was... worked in terms of it actually reached out to the stars and summoned aliens, or just like it well, was functional? You know, it was functional, you know, it could, uh, it would broadcast a signal that could ah, be, you know. gotcha. Just checking. I just, you know, I like to make yeah. sure, you know. Well, maybe. I don't yeah, know. These maybe details are important, Phil. Yeah, true. <laughs> it was C. Thomas Howell's. Film debut. Very cool. Always liked him. That was uh, the soul man himself. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, and also, it's apparently, it might have been one of the films that helped bring about product placement. Oh, right. Because Reese's Pieces. Because if yeah. I'm not mistaken, and you maybe were about to say this, but if I'm not mistaken, I think they wanted to use M&M's, but then M&M's wouldn't let them. That's right. So they used Reese's Pieces. And then the Reese's Pieces sales 
skyrocketed after yeah, this movie yeah. came out and they, they and, uh, sold millions M&Ms. and millions of dollars the mars company went oh we should have let them use m&m's <laughs> right oh. right well there you go live and learn so that was uh, it was a common practice which had been done previously with the james bond film franchise but uh this was the first time this was the biggie which sort of meant we would then get product placements in every film and tv show ever yeah well i mean you know it's sort of one of those things where you can't really blame et for that i guess but it, yeah you know it certainly has and i mean you can't really blame it for some of the things as long as it's in there you know when it seems you know it suits the scene then i don't have any problem with it i mean i think yeah i think that the the like in et for example that's that's very organic product placement you know like it's it's yeah. it's not like they shoehorned it into the film just so they could get them in there. I mean, it, it, that's part of the movie everyone remembers is him luring E.T. into the house with this trail of candy. I mean, you know, they could yeah. have done generic candy, sure, but I think that, you know, it being something kind of recognizable made it like a fun pop culture moment, you know? Yeah. But as you write and anything in the kitchen, things like that works well. Oh, this is it. E.T.'s communicator actually worked and was constructed by Henry Feinberg, an expert in science and technology interpretation for the public. Oh, there you go. Now, one nice little thing as well. Uh, the script was largely written while on location, while in, uh, Steven Spielberg was filming the first Indiana Jones film. Oh, very cool. So they, would do, they wrote that Jones film breaks as Steven Spielberg dictated the story to Melissa Matheson. Yeah, you know, I, I often, on, on my breaks, I often write what would, you know, what will go on to become the highest grossing film of all time for, you know, like 12 yeah. years or so. I mean, that's you just, just throw them out, don't you, while you're working on another film, which is going to be really big. Yeah, you know, while I'm making one blockbuster, I just sort of casually throw out another yeah. blockbuster. I mean, it's just, another it's just what one which, does. Which it isn't even similar to the one you're working on, right. so you've got to change your mind every time you're doing it. Right, right, exactly. I mean, yeah. that's just, you know, that's just how I roll. God. <laughs> People with all these ideas. Yeah, yeah. That's E.T., and... Uh, it's an excellent film, and everybody's seen it. So. Yeah, good stuff. It's a, it's a classic for sure. So, all right, well, there you go. That, Like you said, that wraps up E.T. If you would like to share your endings or share your thoughts on our endings, please contact us. We will tell you how you can do that in just a little bit. But first, we're going to move on to our Mighty Morphing mini feature. And I'm very sad to say that tonight's mini feature is actually going to be our first – what's the word I'm looking for? Our first – downbeat mini feature it's a solemn yeah. one i think it's not it's not a funny one or a happy one um but as we are recording this uh we just found out late last night that the actor anton yelchin passed away yesterday and uh he was a favorite of both of ours and so we wanted yeah. to kind of pay a little tribute to him because you know we really liked him and I, and I know i personally thought he had a very long and very um fruitful career ahead of him and i'm very very sad to to, to learn that he's he's passed along so this is just we wanted to take a minute and sort of talk about him uh, and, and share some kind of personal memories about his films. Yeah, he's a very talented actor. And as you say, he was uh, he was just getting on to bigger and better things every time. He'd he'd been the lead in a few films and he'd always, whenever he showed up, he always had like a decent role or he'd always be memorable. Yeah. And I think I, I think I first saw him in Charlie Bartlett. Yep, that's the first film I was going to mention. Charlie Bartlett is definitely the first thing I saw him in. He actually uh, had a lot of like guest starring roles and minor parts before that, uh, but that was the first film that he starred in with Robert Downey Jr. And it was right after Robert Downey Jr. I think it was his first film after Iron Man, although it might have been made beforehand, but it was the first film to come out after Iron Man. And it was sort of, it fell under the radar, but it's about this, it's, it's kind of a 2000s, uh, update of Ferris Bueller, if you will. It's got a yeah, very, yeah, it is, yeah. You know, like a similar kind of vibe to that. A little bit more 
adult. I think Charlie sells drugs to the other kids on the campus, but not in a bad way. Like I know that that sounds funny, but yeah. he's a very charming, very likable character. It's it's mostly like his mom's prescriptions and stuff, and he's he's not a bad kid. He's just you know he doesn't have any direction in his life, but you know he's terrific in it. Robert Downey Jr. is terrific, and it's just a great movie. It's really charming and funny, and it's just one of those movies that you know. And I, I remember watching that film, and I was like, I don't know who this kid is, but I really like him, and I think he's gonna yeah. he's gonna go places. And and then he he did very shortly after he started to yeah, show up in a lot of things. He also was pant- uh, pant- had a really good role in Alpha Dog, but I've never seen the film. So you know, I haven't either. And that was when I when I posted on Facebook about how sad I was about him dying. I had a couple people comment to me that they really loved him in Alpha Dog. So I, I definitely will now have to check that movie out because I yeah. I also haven't seen it. But um, obviously, then he went on to star in in Star Trek as uh, Ensign Chekhov, which was just great casting because uh, Anton was actually born in Russia, even though he's you know American. Nized, if you will. He was actually yeah. born in Russia, has a Russian background. And so, you know, I like to think that's not the only reason they cast him as Chekhov. But, you know, he did a great job with the accent. He made the character, you know, fun. Um, and even though he disappeared a little bit in the second film, uh, you know, I was just I was happy to see him go on to be a part of this this terrific ensemble. Yeah. And we've got this. We'll be seeing him in Star Trek Beyond soon, won't we? So, yeah, that'll be bittersweet to watch mm-hmm. that, unfortunately. And what else? He was also in, played Kyle Reese in Terminator Salvation. Yes, which actually, you know, a film a lot of people don't like, but as some people might recall, that was on my top 10 list of 2000. What year did we do that? 2009. 2009. That was on my top 10 list. I actually really liked that film. And so once again, you know, here he is playing this iconic role. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think he did a good job with it. Yeah, well, I wasn't a fan of the film as much as you, but he was great as, as Kyle Reese. He was, uh, as usual, you he stole the scenes he was in. He was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, he did a different kind of thing. I mean, Kyle Reese, obviously, in previous, you know, in the original Terminator films, is a lot more hard-edged. And here he played him as a, as a young, a really young, yeah. green Kyle Reese. But I, I liked his portrayal of him. I, I thought you could see how he would eventually turn into this sort of harder, you know, soldier. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, And then he was in... Uh... In the Fright Night remake? Yep, yep, which isn't a great film. Um, you know, it, it's enjoyable enough. But once again, you know, for pretty much carrying the film on his back, yeah. you know, he, he's a likable lead, you know. And I thought that, you know, that's the thing about that movie. It's not a great film, but it's easily watchable because he's just so watchable on screen. Like, that's yeah, the thing. You know, every every movie he's in, he's just – you just enjoy watching him. So even when the movie isn't that great, you're still having a good time because you just kind of feel like you're hanging out with him. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and he was in – one of my favorites he was in was Odd Thomas where he played the title character. Yes, that's a terrific film, which yeah, I don't I think enough people have seen. Did it come out theatrically in the UK? Uh, I think it I think it did, but probably only for a week. Yeah, see here, same thing. And it was because it was delayed for ages as well, wasn't it? Right. When it finally came out. Yeah, and and here it came and went direct to video. But if you haven't seen it, it's based on a Dean Koontz novel. And actually, I was hoping they were going to make more because the Dean Koontz yeah. books are a series. And um, it's actually a, it's it's you know it's a really good film. And it, budget wise, it looks like it was made to compete in theaters. I don't know why it never actually came out, but it's a really good film. Uh, I definitely recommend tracking it down. And he's absolutely terrific, and it's one of his best roles. Yeah, I totally agree. Really good film. And he was great as Odd Thomas. Yeah, yeah, he, he did a great job. I know. There's there's two others that I saw him in, um, both, neither of which are great movies, but again, he was terrific in them. And they are uh, Burying the X, which also stars uh, Alexandra oh, yeah, yeah. D'Addario. Yeah. Um, yes, good, the zombie X one. Right, it's a good concept. You know, it's his, his girlfriend 
his kind of bitchy girlfriend dies, and he, so he can finally date the girl that he's really in love with. But she, the, the girlfriend, ex girlfriend, comes back to life and won't <laughs> won't die. You know, it's kind of a <laughs> kind of an update of uh, my boyfriend's back from the '80s. But it's not as funny as it could have been. Um, but I like I like uh, Alexandra Diodaro quite a bit, and obviously her and, and Anton Yelchin had some good chemistry on screen. Uh, and the other one he was in was actually a thriller with uh, like a spy thriller with Nicolas Cage called Dying of the Light. Um, and another one, great trailer, if you see it, not yeah. a great film. Yeah, there was lots of stuff in the background of this one. When it was getting made, there was, because, uh, oh, who directed it? Oh, it was um It was Paul, Paul Schrader. Schrader. There yeah. was lots of, I think, studio interference and things. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But he disowned it. They kind of took it away from him, and he disowns the final cut of it. Apparently, it's, uh, it's not the film that he intended to make at all. Yeah. Oh, and also, then there was uh, the excellent Green Room. Right, which I have not seen yet, but... Uh, yeah, but I... he, was, he was very good. He was basically the... Well, Patrick Stewart was sort of the bad, bad guy, but Anton was the the leader of the the punk band, right? And he's sort of like the hero, the character, right? So again, he was he was great in it. Yes, that's one I'm looking forward to seeing. So, I mean, as you can see, he was in a lot of great movies. Every movie that we just talked about, he had a major role in, if not the lead role. And uh, you know, he's just a really talented actor, and he's going to be missed. I think that. Well, he... well, what gets me though is the amount of he's been in so many. Lots of other films that we've not mentioned, but he's acted with some huge names. Yep. Like there was Nicolas Cage, we've already mentioned. Yep. Uh, he was in Hearts of Atlantis with Anthony Hopkins. Right, right. And along came a spy, Morgan Freeman. Yep. Uh, well, Terminator Salvation, like Christian Bale. Mm -hmm. All the people who were in uh, the Star Trek films. Yep. Robert Downey Jr., you mentioned Charlie Bartlett. Right. Colin Farrell he, in Fright Night. Yeah. Uh, Mel Gibson and Jodie Foster in The Beaver. Right. Uh, you know, I do think I saw that movie actually, but I can't remember it to save my life. I do, you know, yeah. I did see that movie. Now that I think about it, and um, I I don't really remember his part in it that well. It's not yeah. a movie that I'm, uh, you know, I watched it once. I kind of forgot about it. But now that you mentioned, I did see that one too. So I mean, that's the thing. You know, he'd been in a lot of movies that that we've watched and enjoyed. And you know, I just, I mean, he was so young. He was only twenty seven. He had such a long career ahead of him. So. Um, you know, it's a tragedy and, yeah. uh, you know, we just wanted to sort of pay our respects and, and tell people that, you know, if you haven't seen some of his past films, you know, go check them out. They're really worth watching. He, he was really a terrific screen presence. Yeah, a great actor gone much, much too soon. Indeed. So, Anton, if you're up there listening somewhere, we hope you uh, enjoy our little tribute. We uh, will really miss you. Yeah, say hi to Leonard Nimoy for us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, on that note, I think we'll wrap that up and get back into uh, our usual, our regularly scheduled programming. Hopefully, this isn't a feature we'll have to do very often. Yeah, but if you if you want to go on to you know share your thoughts about Anton, you know what your favorite film roles, you know what you thought of him as an actor, things like that, uh, you can tell us uh, and comment on the various social media places which we'll let you know about a bit later on yeah please do let us know your favorite films and your favorite performances from him and maybe we'll do a little follow-up where we share some you know some positive memories of him let's let's keep it upbeat and we'll, we'll just uh, see what everybody loved about about anton yelchin so yep all right so moving on to happier things let's discuss the films of 1981 so this was a pretty big year for movies phil huh it certainly was certainly lots of lots of huge movies lots of as we were talking before there's lots of Lots of very watchable movies. Yep. Some of them aren't great, but there's they're all the kind of films where you've seen them numerous times, and if they come on TV again, you'll go, "Oh, let's watch this because it's because you know it's going to be a fun watch." Yeah, I think this is going to be a, a, maybe a divisive 
uh, list for us because I think there's some movies on here that people are going to have different remembrances of and different nostalgic feelings for. And so I think some of the movies that get left off of our lists, people will be like, what? How could you not put you know this yeah. movie on there? And then other ones that will have really high that people might not have seen at the same point in their lives that we did, they're going to say, how could you put that at number two? You know, so uh, it'll be interesting. But let's uh, let's dive into it, shall we? Yes. So let's uh, give you everybody a reminder of 1981. What was going on? Yes. Take us take us back, Phil. Take us back to 1981. What was going on? Okay. We need some kind of you know time travel sound. There we go. Yeah, we we do need one, but uh, maybe something we need a little some better, better than, than that, that one. Yeah, because yeah, that was scary. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Let's see. We've got uh, the UK 1981. The UK had Margaret Thatcher as Prime Minister, and America had Ronald Reagan, uh, who ended up getting shot in the chest, but survived. Uh, Kathleen Turner, Tom Cruise, Ben Affleck, Holly Hunter, Jeffrey Rush, Meg Ryan, Jeff Daniels, Kevin Costner, and a few others made their film debuts, which is quite interesting. Yeah, it's a lot of big names. Over here in Britain, there's all the talk about the European Union, and back in 1981, Greece entered the European Union. The first DeLorean rolled off production line, uh, which we, we need a big thank you for, because, you know, otherwise, Back to the Future... Just Might wouldn't be the same. Well. Yeah, it wouldn't be the same. Uh, the first London Marathon took place, and the first space shuttle was launched, and that one was Columbia. Very nice. Sadly, 1981 also gave us the first recognised case of AIDS. It was the first flight of the Lockheed F-117 Nighthawk stealth fighter. Donkey Kong was released. Charles and Diana got married, and it was the first use of crack cocaine was reported in the US and the Caribbean. So some big things, some sad things, and some not-so-good things. But also that year, we saw the births of Elijah Wood. Well, this is going to make us all feel really old. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, Elijah Wood, Justin Timberlake, Tom Hiddleston, Kelly Rowland, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Josh Gad, uh, Julia Stiles, Michael Pitt, Jessica Alba, Rami Malek from The Accident Mr. Robot, Amy Schumer, Natalie Portman, Summer Glau, Beyonce, Rupert Friend, and Kristen Ritter. And again, it's one of those where you go, you don't think half of these are the same age. Wait, doesn't Tom Hiddleston seem like head and shoulders way older than everybody else on that list? Yeah, that's it's just, it's just like a lot of crazy. them still seem like kids, but Tom Hiddleston's like a man, yeah. you know. I also thought Jessica Alba was older than all that. Right, right. But yeah, obviously not. Uh, but we also had some deaths. Well, obviously we did, right. but uh, we had some uh, big deaths. We had Ber- lost Bernard Lee, William Holden, Natalie Wood, Bob Marley. Um, Pope John Paul II, right. and that was 1981. Okay, great. So, Phil, why don't you kick us off tonight? Why don't you take us into the year of 1981 with your number 10 pick? Uh, my number 10 film is a film by George A. Romero that doesn't involve zombies, and it's one which many people might not have heard of, but it's an excellent one called Night Riders, and it also has no talking cars in, but it's uh, it stars Ed Harris, Tom Savini, and many others, and it's uh, it's pretty much a take on the king arthur story but it sets it's a traveling troupe of people who uh put on jousts jousts shows using motorcycles and things like that and uh the leader played by ed harris is king william he styles himself on king arthur and the like like when it's a great film it's quite uh well, it's quite unlike many of the other george a romero films uh quite deep beautifully shot scenes and it's got knights on motorbikes right but it's it's, it's well worth a watch if you haven't seen it because it's uh I mean, Quite surprising film as well. Right. You know, it's funny. I have seen that film uh, and I completely forgot about it until you, I mean, mentioned yeah. it. Like I, I, 
I remember seeing it. I was doing my research, but I was like, I don't know if I've seen that film. Now as you describe it, I'm like, oh, I have seen that film, but mm-hmm. I remember nothing about it at all. So I can't even say if I have an opinion on it. <laughs> it's very different for a Romero film. Sure, sure. So what about your number 10? All right, my number 10 is uh, also an equally obscure film, and it is called Southern Comfort. It is by uh, Walter Hill, who directed The Warriors. And this is also sort of a cult classic, but not nearly on the level of The Warriors. And it stars Keith Carradine and Powers Booth. And it's basically about a bunch of soldiers kind of out in, like, the bayou. And uh, they basically get mixed up with some locals and people start dying. Uh, It's sort of a kind of, you know, one of those group of people in a hostile environment getting picked off one by one type of films, which is yes, one yeah. of my favorite genres ever. And um, I only discovered it a couple of years ago when Shout Factory put it out on Blu-ray uh, for the first time, and I absolutely loved it. So there you go, number 10. Yeah, it's a brilliant movie. It's one of my favorites as well. Oh, great. Do do like that film. Excellent. It didn't quite make my list because there was, as we said, there was many good films that year. Yeah, this is definitely a tough year, for sure. But that was bubbling under. Okay, my number nine is a film by Terry Gilliam called Time Bandits. Involving Adventures Through Time, starring Sean Connery, Shelley Duvall, John Cleese, and so many other big names. It's, well, lots of people would have seen it. It's lots of fun, but it has one of those downer endings, which I always quite like. Well, sometimes I quite like, but it seems to fit the film quite well. Right. It's a good film with some, some great effects, some great acting. I mean, David Rappaport as the leader of the Time Bandits, he's, he's fantastic. And I do enjoy it. Yeah, you know, that's one of those films I've only seen once. And it was so long ago that actually, like I said, again, I couldn't remember if I liked it or not. I yeah, honestly, And yeah. I didn't want to put it on the list just because it's like, oh, Time Bandits, everyone loves that. Because I was like, gosh, I can't even remember if I enjoyed that film or not. So it is a good choice. And maybe it would have been on mine if I'd seen it more recently. But it's been a long, long time. Yeah, worth, worth checking out again, though. It is a good, sure. good one to rewatch. Yeah. Well, my number nine is The Howling. And it stars Dee Wallace and probably a bunch of other people. I can't remember at the moment. But it's a great werewolf film. One of the few good werewolf films, actually. I think the yeah, the werewolf yeah. genre, for some reason, just does not breed good movies. There are so many bad werewolf movies out there, and The Howling is fantastic. It's a little bit dated, um, but it's a great kind of mystery in the first half, and then it goes into more full-on werewolf stuff, and I, I, there's a really terrific ending for it. And um, if you're looking for a good werewolf movie, I think the list just about starts and stops with The Howling. I can think of maybe one or two other ones which may pop up, but... Um, you know, it's, uh, it's not a genre that's very well, that's not treated very well. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Continuing on, Phil. So my number eight is Clash of the Titans, uh, directed by Desmond Davis starring, what's well, got another great cast starring Harry Hamlin, Lawrence Olivier, Maggie Smith, Burgess Meredith, Pat Roach, Ursula Andress, and of course, its main stars though are the wonderful work by Ray Harryhausen. That's right. It's got Bubo the Owl or whatever his name is. Yeah, Bubo and the Kraken and the Medusa and all that stuff, yeah. All right, well, my number eight is For Your Eyes Only, starring Roger Moore as one 007, Mr. James Bond. And I've said this before, I'll probably say it again. If it's a James Bond movie, it is probably going to be on my list, with very few exceptions. I'm a huge James Bond fan. I always have been. I most likely always will be. And I think For Your Eyes Only is one of of Roger Moore's better outings. So there it is. Yeah, yeah, it's a good film. Uh... But didn't quite make my list. Fair enough, because I, I do I do like most of the James Bond films, but I never. It's only a few of them which I do think are like really really good. I can understand that. You know, for me, yeah. it's like. The James Bond films were always an experience. I think I started yeah. seeing them in the theater when I was probably way too young to see them in the theater. Uh, thanks, Mom, yeah. if you're listening. Um, but uh, and I've, you know, it's for me, it, it's one of my all-time favorite franchises. Even the bad ones, I love. You know, like I'll pop in like Octopussy and be like, I love this movie. I mean, it's not a great yeah. film, but I love it anyway. And so, um, you know, I. I 
I think they're going to make a lot of my list just because I do have that sort of nostalgia, and it's definitely one of those things where it goes beyond the individual movies, and I just I yeah, love it's, it's the, the, thing, the character and the franchise you know, so much that that kind of, I think, gives them a little more weight than they might have on an individual yeah. basis. Yeah, I don't mean, because most, most of my memories of James Bond films are watching them on a on a wet bank holiday Monday right. when there's a, there's there always have loads of James Bond films and the great escape always seem to be on as well. <laughs> sure. All those kind of things yep. always takes me back to those kind of things. Yeah, so yeah. always nice memories, but right. Yeah. Right. Okie dokie. So my number seven, it's another King Arthur theme thing. It's Excalibur, the John Borman film starring Nigel Terry, Helen Mirren, Nicholas Clay, Nicole Williamson, Gabriel Byrne and Liam Neeson. I think it was Gabriel Byrne's first big, movie i think and patrick stewart don't forget oh patrick stewart of course yeah i've got to forget him because he's one of my favorite parts in yep. it but yeah it's a big sprawling epic a few bits don't quite work but i always quite liked it and it's uh, got a great merlin with his shadal madrakuthul whatever the impressions don't on. start man yeah shadal madrakuthul had a weird accent didn't yeah, he yeah yeah merlin and that but yeah great film uh and i think it's i think it's one of probably one of the best one showing King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Fair enough. I, I'm going to say I'm personally not a huge fan of that film. Um, oh, I can see why. I can see why people wouldn't like. Yeah, it. I mean, it's very popular. I mean, it's one of those kind of cult classics. A lot of people really love that movie. But to me, it's just you know, you said it's a big sprawling epic, a little too sprawling. It, it's yeah, it's yeah. kind of slow to me. I wish it was about a half an hour shorter. And I don't dislike the movie. It's just not something that I have any any real passion for. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right, well, my number seven, ironically, as I just finished saying a little while ago how werewolf movies are terrible, my number seven <laughs> is also another werewolf movie, and it is An American Werewolf in London, which, yes. of course, is a classic and probably, I would say, the best werewolf movie uh, of all time, which you'd think would make it a little higher on my list, but somehow it only came in at number seven. But, um, you know, it's a great film. It's a classic. It's John Landis. It's it's terrific. It's funny and scary. Yeah. Um, yes. And it, it is a movie that I love. So so this year we have two werewolf movies on my list, and that's probably the last year we'll ever have a werewolf yeah. movie on our list. It's still still probably uh, one of the best werewolf transformation scenes as well. Oh, without a doubt. That That is, you know, truly just, uh, uh, you know, it's Hollywood history right there. I mean, it's it's yeah. fantastic. And it's also the first film I remember that gave me uh, nightmares as a kid. Oh, I'm sure. I saw it when I was much too young. Right. Right, and it was all—it was the scenes when he has the uh, the nightmares himself. They always—I remember waking up, you know, screaming. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's it's, a, it's yeah. a definitely a creepy film. You know, I, I didn't see it until yeah. I was an adult, luckily or unluckily, yeah. some might say. But, um, but yeah, so I, it is a movie I, I do love for sure. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's a great film. It didn't quite make my list. I think purely because I've seen it so many times. Oh, really? I, I have to say, I'm, I'm surprised on that one. I thought yeah. for sure it at least cracked the top ten. Well, I, I did as well. I did for a while, but then I was going through the others, and it just. It's one of the ones now, the past few times when I've seen it, it's I enjoy it, but you know when you've seen something a bit too many? Yeah, you're a little over much. it, kind of. Yeah, I get it. It's, I get you. Uh, so my number six is The Evil Dead, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, in a cabin in the woods with lots and lots of blood. And I just, I love the Evil Dead series. I think Evil Dead, I prefer Evil Dead 2 to this first one, but I still... I still really do like it. Yeah, I think that's a pretty popular opinion that most people like the mm. second one better than yeah. the first one. Uh, I will say, Evil Dead actually did not make my list. Yeah, believe it or yeah. Not. Well, I could again. I can see. I can see why because it's the year 1981. There was so many to choose from. Right, and you know, I like Evil Dead. It was actually probably. I think it was probably good. It would have been my number eleven, but I um. Yeah. I like the second yeah. one better. I really love Army of Darkness. That's my favorite. Oh, you know. Yeah, same. Uh, Army of Darkness is just yeah. You know, so it's 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 a great choice for sure, but it just missed my list. So. Yeah. Uh, but at number six, I do have another horror film, and it is Halloween 2, uh, which might not be considered a, a great film by a lot of people. Um, but I. No, it's, it's, 
still it's still uh, worth watching. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah. Halloween is hands down my favorite horror movie of all time. Um, any any time a horror movie discussion comes up, there's no question that the first Halloween is my favorite. I think it's John Carpenter's masterpiece, and it's just an amazingly brilliant film. And Halloween two, while he didn't direct it, I thought did a really good job of being a worthwhile sequel. It picks up right after the events of the first movie. You know, it's very mm-hmm. similar in tone. It's similar in feel. It, it, it you know it, it it still tried to do somewhat what the first film did it it did up the gore yeah. quotient a little bit because the studio wanted it you know but it, it's it's still a far cry from what we see today in horror movies and um i just feel like it's really kind of a continuation of the first film you know it's not quite at the same level but it's a really good sequel nonetheless and, and i love i love the halloween i just i love michael myers so uh this one yeah. you know yeah. made it on my list okay so my number five is mad max 2 the road warrior very good George Miller directed it as he did the most recent Mad Max Fury Road film and it's got Mel Gibson and for me it's the it's my favorite Mad Max film out of all of, all four of them. Oh yeah, hands down. I think it's I think it's what he got uh, he got he got Max just right in this one. You I think it defines who the character is and and what he should, you know, what he'll do in future. Right. I in agree. Future films. I agree. But again, one thing that the one thing that gets on my nerves about the Mad Max films I know there's only a few, but they always start off. He has the he has the cool, you know, interceptor, and every single time, <laughs> it gets taken away in the first five minutes. I and you go, and I want to see him driving that car. <laughs> he's for a not. Bit more than that. He's not very good at keeping his vehicles. Yeah. That is for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, my number five uh, is very similar to Mad Max Two and Halloween Two. It is on Golden Pond. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's very similar. Uh, here's the <laughs> thing. When I was a kid, I remember when On Golden Pond came out, and it was that movie about old people. And, yes, you know, had yes. kids. I remember seeing the trailer and going, wow. Right, exactly. It's Catherine Hepburn, Henry Fonda. It does also have Dabney Coleman in it and some other good actors. But it was the film about old people. I had no desire to watch it. And I never, ever ever watched it until about a year or two ago. It finally came out on Blu-ray, and I said... Yeah, you know, this movie won like 17 billion Oscars. I should probably watch it just to see what it's all about. And I kind of I threw it in and I was like, all right, well, you know, if it's boring, you know, I got my phone, whatever, this and that. <laughs> and I absolutely loved it. It is a terrific, terrific film. It is funny. I didn't realize how much humor it had in it. It's one of those movies yeah. that took me by surprise. It's a really it's true, that, yeah. warm, funny, enjoyable film. Yes, it's about old people, but it's not about old people in that way that makes you – go oh god why am i watching this it's one of those movies that makes you feel good about life and it's vibrant and it's enjoyable and i really do think if you haven't seen on golden pond you should give it a try because i think you'll be surprised by it it's a really good film yeah i totally agree with you it's again i didn't watch it for a long long time when i did it was really enjoyed it. and as you say it's very funny mm-hmm, mm-hmm, indeed yeah and it's a you mentioned one oscars henry fond and Catherine hepburn won the best actor best actress Oscar. Yeah, well deserved well deserved film, yeah yep. yeah but yeah, good film, good pick. Great. So where are we up to now, number four for me? Yes. It is Superman 2, Neil Before Zod. It's the one that Richard Donner was filming when he was making Superman, um, and things all got a bit messy, but it got finished, and it's got uh, Jemel Zod uh, coming to Earth with his team and wreaking havoc, and Superman Luke. Well, yeah, everybody knows it. Why am I explaining it? You know Superman 2. <laughs> it's, uh, it's got some great moments, and it's also got a few naff moments, like the cellophane symbol thing throwing out what the hell's that about when's he ever done that how's that work right but anyway apart from that no i really like it and it's a good good bit of superman i enjoy it for sure in fact it's so good i'm gonna throw it in as my number four and a half and here's why somehow when i was doing my research i didn't come across that film so i left it off my list but it definitely would have made my top 10 so i'm gonna throw it in there i'm gonna sandwich it in at number four and a half uh because i will allow it thank you i I agree with you it's a it's a great movie it's definitely a part of my childhood and i love it so 
Yes. And then my actual number four is Escape from New York, which, of course, is John Carpenter's classic with Kurt Russell playing Snake Plissken. Uh, terrific movie. I know for some people... I thought he was dead. <laughs> so a lot of people have heard that. Uh, I know a lot of people love this movie. I'm sure a lot of people expected it to be at number one or number two. It's a movie I really enjoy. I've seen it several times. I love it. There's a few films I like just a little bit better, um, but it certainly is a, a classic for sure. And I expect that maybe we'll hear it on your list soon. <laughs> we shall see. But that's my number four Maybe. Pick. Maybe. <laughs> okay, so yes. Uh, yeah, Escape from New York. Yeah, I've heard of that film. <laughs> uh, so number three, my number three is a film by Brian De Palma called Blowout. Very good. Stars John Travolta, Nancy Allen, John Lithgow. Uh, John Travolta plays a movie sound recordist and while he's out one night recording some cool sounds, he records a car, a car accident and then keeps listening back, finds out it's actually a murder. And things happen from there. And it's, I tell you what, if you haven't seen it, go out and get it now. Go watch it because it's one of John Travolta's best films. He puts in a stunning performance. And I, I can't recommend it enough. It's a brilliant film. Well, I agree with you so much that it is also my number three pick. Yes, we did it again. That's right. We did. We matched up again. Um, I love it. I'm a huge De Palma fan from his early days. Uh, he, you know, he's very hit or miss in his later years, but he's got a yeah. good half dozen films that I really love. And, um, and and Blowout is one of them. It's just fantastic. The ending is amazing. It is oh, not God, yeah. the ending you expect. Like you said, yeah. Travolta is fantastic. That final scene is haunting. Um, it's yeah. just a brilliant thriller. And it, it really, like you said, if you haven't seen it, go out and watch it right now because yeah. it's, it's utterly fantastic. Yeah. I remember when I came, again, I watched it late one night, and it, I saw it was a Brian De Palma film, that John Travolta, and I was going, what the hell is this? And I put <laughs> right. it on. And, was, and it was, you know, you expect one thing from a Travolta film, and then suddenly this thriller comes out, and you're going, oh, my God. And John Lithgow, how frightening is John oh, Lithgow? Yeah. You forget yeah. how frightening he can be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's riveting. Yeah. It's a riveting yeah. film. Well worth watching. Indeed. Okay, so my number two is a film you just mentioned, Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. I had a feeling. John Carpenter, <laughs> amazing cast. Yeah, when you look at it, I mean, Kurt Russell, yeah, Lee Van Cleef, Ernest Borgnine, Donald Pleasance, Harry Dean Stanton, Isaac Hayes, and Adrian Barbeau. It's just, oh, just so many good bits. And it's, it's trouble is, though, as well, it's always a bit too short. Right, right. You, you always think, oh, it's just going to get going, and then suddenly he's on his way out. But a great, great film. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, well, my number two is a film you've already mentioned, and it is... Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Yay. And, uh, you know, it's just, like you said, everything you said about it is true. It's a great film. I love the fact that the last hour or so of the film is just one giant car chase slash action sequence. And I I think it's telling that for Fury Road, the most recent one, it's kind of loosely a remake of The Road Warrior in a way. Yeah, Yeah, I'll go with that, yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, obviously the story is different and stuff, but it's, I think, tonally and plot-wise and just sort of in terms of, you know, how it presents Max, it's the most like the road warrior of any of the other films yeah um, but the road warrior is just to me one of the quintessential action films of all time it's just the stunts are amazing and you know mel gibson like you said he he got him right you know he got mad yeah. max right and it's uh, it's a terrific film so there you go it's my number two now before you get to your number one i i think i have a feeling i know where you're going with it i'm pretty confident we're on the same page <laughs> here so dun, uh why did it have to be snakes (laughs) (laughs) so there we go our number one pick our joint number one pick phil is raiders of the lost ark very good i i don't think that'll come to a surprise to anybody who looked at what movies came out in 1980 yeah yeah go ahead phil tell us tell us how you feel about about raiders raiders of the lost ark steven spielberg's first indiana jones film brought us a great character and harrison ford had another iconic role and it's just it just nails that pulp sensibility and just gets it so just does it so well. You've got you've got an archaeologist 
going around the world. You've got great characters. You've got the bits where he's, when he's flying around the globe, you've got the maps with the lines going on it. I love all that stuff. And he's, got, he's wearing a hat and he's got a whip. Oh, yeah. oh and, Car- and Karen Allen is, is just beautiful and a great character and so tough and really good. It's just, you know, it, Indiana Jones is such a great character. And that movie has so many indelible moments that are stamped, I think, on movie history. I mean, there's there's the snakes. There's Indiana Jones with the swordsman in the bazaar where he shoots him. And there's, you know, yeah. there's the arc opening. And, you know, there's just so many moments that you just are just part of your collective memory, you know. Well, even the little bits like when the Nazi comes into the tents when uh, Karen Allen's with Belloc. Yes. And he brings out the thing and you're going, oh, my God, what's that? And it's actually just a coat hanger. Yep. And you just stuff like that. Yep. It's just so many. I think the. They get everything right in the film. Yeah, from I mean the casting, the story, the action, but also the little bits like the uh, the set dressing. You know, when the the guys from the FBI at the start of the wherever they're from are like talking to Indy and uh, Dan Elliott's character. Yeah, in the hall, just everything, everything's in its place, and it just it just it's wonderful. Yeah, it really is. It's a it's a magic movie. I mean, obviously, it, that's no surprise. It's one of the most successful film franchises franchises of all time. Um, but I mean, you know, and as a kid, I remember I had the action figures actually, which weren't that they weren't oh, that widespread. Cool, yeah. They weren't as big as like Star Wars action figures. But um, yeah, yeah. And I just you know remember think like Harrison Ford was my idol. I mean, he was Han Solo and Indiana Jones. I mean, has there ever yeah. been a greater one two punch of characters in any other actor's resume? I mean, I can't think of anything that even comes close to that. Yeah, I know. It's it's just. I think it's going to be number one for lots of people for that year. Yeah, I, I imagine a lot of people would have easily would have picked this as, as their yeah. number one as well. So I will just say that I remember watching uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark years ago when uh, with my grandma when she was still alive and she hadn't seen it. She didn't know anything about it. Uh, she was a little bit deaf, but uh, I remember just watching it with her because I'd seen it before mm-hmm. and she just she loved it. She was laughing and she's going whooping and hollering whenever you know and going <gasps> whenever things happen. She just loved every single minute of it. So I think it's one of those films which just crosses the age age barrier you know young old whatever everybody loves it i think so i mean i think that's exactly it is it's universal everybody everybody loves that movie in fact uh, a little known piece of trivia about that movie it was also the first starring role of alfred molina who of course went on to great fame playing dr octopus and spider-man 2 and many other great roles and as a matter of fact i got the chance to ask him about playing his small role in raiders of the lost ark not that long ago so why don't we have a listen to what Alfred Molina has to say about being in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, um, I don't want to touch on a couple of your, your uh, roles from some of your previous roles, if I may. Um, I was just curious, you know, obviously I think one of the roles you're best known for is Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 2. You know, was that a different kind of movie-making experience for you, or was it just another oh, day on set? Yeah, yeah that, was, that was a completely new experience for me. I mean, I'd, I'd done... I'd done big movies before, but never quite as big in terms of the technology that was involved. I mean, my very first film was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was, in its day, that was, in terms of technology and film making, that was state of the art. I mean, there right. was, you know, it, was the, it was the cutting edge of what was available. Um, but it was nothing compared to what is available now. You know, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, the kinds of cameras that what cameras can do, what CGI can do, what you know, what back projection can do, all that mm-hmm. stuff. You know, that's all changed. I mean, when we did Raiders, for instance, the scene where Harrison is lowered in has to lower himself into that pit of snakes. Mm-hmm. That was a real pit, and those were real snakes. Right. Um, there were they had I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of snakes. Sort of corralled in this room in this great big cage, 
uh, waiting right. to do their thing. You could smell them as you were walking down the corridors. You know, so Harrison was it was being lowered into and falls into a real pit with a real snakes in there. Uh, now, of course, that would never happen now. You know, you'd right. have a big green screen on the you know, it would be it's all different. Um, but there again, because it's different and because there's more technology, you can do more now. You know, so right. things change hopefully in a good way. So. Spider-Man 2 was the, the biggest, I mean, from soup to nuts. I mean, from the first day that I went to my very first costume fitting mm-hmm. uh, to the very, very end, it was the best part of nine months. You know, it was a huge, huge endeavor. I mean, at one point, we were at Sony Studios, and the, that one production was occupying something like seven sound stages. Wow. Uh, you know, it was just a massive, massive endeavor. And so you're, I've never experienced that before. Um, so sure. that was a, a very uh, exciting and, you know, sort of uh, eye-widening experience, you know. Uh, but also for the technology involved, you know, we had, you know, just, I mean, just in terms of uh, Doc Ox tentacles. I mean, we had, mm-hmm. we had what we called the real ones, which were, which were, which were manipulated by puppeteers who were right. like just off, off stage. Um, off, off screen, uh, we had the CGI version of the arms. We had the um, uh, the animated version of the arms. You know, mm-hmm. so there was there was all kinds of technologies involved, all often working at the same time. You know, um, so there was a fantastic uh, it was a fantastic experience, just in terms of discovering what film is capable of. And this was twelve years ago, right? You know? I mean, and and, in, and since then. There's been enormous um, strides in the technology that's available. So, and you know, it, it's so it's uh, you know another another twelve years, and even Spider-Man Two will become a period piece. You know, it's, it's sort <laughs> right. of, uh, but yeah, but but these films still stand up. I mean, I, I was watching Raiders the other day actually because a friend of mine, yeah, had, had, you know, said that his his son had never seen it. So we sat down and watched it, and, and you know, it's still it's still good. It still stands up. Absolutely, yeah, and, and and it's the quality of the right quality of these films. You know, it's it's the quality it's it's the quality that that keeps them keeps them popular in the minds of you know fans and film goers. All right, well, Alfred, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's been it's been a pleasure talking to you. Fantastic, Howard. That's somebody who was in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Thank you very much, Alfred. Yeah, Thanks. Alfred Molina, I mean, he's an amazingly talented actor, obviously, but he couldn't have been nicer either. We had a very long conversation uh, about many, many things, and he. Uh, I'll, I'll try and put the, a link to that in the show notes, actually, if anybody wants to hear the whole interview. But um, he was a true gentleman, very, very gracious, very humble, and, and a real pleasure to talk to. So Brilliant. It's always good when they're nice. Absolutely. All right, Phil, why don't you take us through the box office top ten? What were the top ten hits of 1981? Okay, 1981, we have number 10, Time Bandits. Number 9, we have The Four Seasons. Which I don't remember that at all. Oh, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it's a romantic comedy written and directed by... Written, directed, and starring Alan Alda. Oh, yeah, I do Uh, vaguely remember that. Yeah, three married couples who take vacations together during the different seasons. Right, right, right. One of those ones, it's fun to watch, but as we've shown, it's a bit forgettable. Yeah. Uh, number eight sorry Alan I do like you <laughs> yep. uh, number eight for your eyes only very good also my number eight ironically oh yeah, yeah. number seven Chariots of Fire mm-hmm. good film but it's uh, yeah. 
Yeah, never really floated my boat. No. Uh, number six was the Cannonball Run, which almost made my top ten Nine list. Nine two, it was definitely yeah. right outside of it. Yeah, well, again, because just the cast list, and that's just amazing. So many famous people in that one. Yeah, it's a funny, funny film. Yeah. Um, number five is Stripes. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised I didn't make either of our lists. Actually, I know I'm not the biggest fan of that in the world, but I, I thought maybe you were going to have it on, on your. Yeah, list. again, it's it's just there's some funny moments in it, but it just doesn't work as a whole for me. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number four was Arthur. Mm-hmm. The good, Dudley good Moore film, film yeah. yeah. So good film, yeah. Uh, number three was Superman 2. Very good. Uh, number two was On Golden Pond. Hey, there you go. Yeah. And number one was Raiders, Raiders of the Lost, Lost Ark. Ark. Of course. <laughs> yes. Here's an interesting bit of trivia for you, and it ties into something that you mentioned earlier. Do you know what outgrossed Raiders of the Lost Ark? No. Donkey Kong. Oh, good God. Donkey yeah. Kong was so popular. I, people forget like what a cultural impact that game had. Donkey Kong was so popular that even at a quarter a game, it actually made more money than Raiders of the Lost Ark did. We're talking like hundreds of millions of dollars. God. I find that a fascinating piece of trivia, personally. That's crazy. Because it's only now you sort of people are reporting that you know video games are making so much money. But right, right. This was then, a quarter a shot, man. A quarter a shot. Classic arcade game. And yeah. it, it got so many kids playing it that it made it made like... 200 something million dollars which is more than indiana jones did god so at least domestically yeah well well let's see in the u.s raiders lost ark made 212 million so it made more than that it made more than that i think it was like 250 285 maybe something like that i forget the exact number but it was more more than raiders yeah you forget how big arcade games yeah i know well because they're not really a thing anymore so all right, great. Well, that's going to wrap up our throwback to 1981. As always, if you have a list you'd like to share, please let us know. We'd be happy to read it out on the air. Phil, why don't you tell people how they can get a hold of us now? Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at after underscore the ending, and we're on facebook.com backslash after the ending podcast. Uh, you can, you're listening to us on some kind of podcast thing, so you can find us on iTunes. We're also on soundcloud.com backslash after the ending podcast. And you can also find us on Stitcher. And if you'd like to email us directly, you can do so at afterthending at verizon.net. All right. So, Phil, it's time to share what movies we're going to talk about next week. I think we have some pretty fun ones picked out. Why don't you tell everybody what we're going to be discussing? Yes. Well, this one is for Mike because he loves the films of Wes Anderson. We will be doing Rushmore. (laughs) Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. And for all those people who say they can't stand the films of Michael Bay... We will be doing The Rock, which is actually quite a fun film, which lots of us do like. Yeah, you know what's funny is I think this is sort of like the 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 the, the two films that are the complete anathema of each other. Like people yeah, who yeah, like yeah. Wes Anderson probably hate Michael Bay, and people who like Michael Bay probably hate Wes Anderson. So we're going to do them both in one episode. It's Rushmore and The Rock, and I think that's a, a great combination because I think we're going to have a lot of people who are going to feel one way or the other about either one of those films. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, I like both of them. Well, I like one of them, so I guess mm. I know which camp Let's I fall see. into. <laughs> Using my deductive skills and while I'm sitting here twirling my moustache. Yes. <gasps> Rushmore. No. Uh, nope. Nope. It it's, uh, okay. it's not. So, yeah, it's going to be Rushmore and The Rock, and we will be looking at our top ten films of 1945. That's right. This should be an interesting year. Hopefully uh, hopefully, I'll have seen some of them. We know yeah. what happens when I go back in time. But, I think uh, we'll we should have to. The 40s. Yeah, By think. that point, I, I've got a pretty good, a pretty expansive you know, knowledge of film there. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I make no yeah. promises. Yeah, and there will also be another Mighty Morphin mini feature. Yes, we'll find something fun and exciting to do in between our main features for you yes. all. If you have any suggestions, please send them to the various places we mentioned just before. We won't guarantee that we will do them, but 
you but know, we'll listen to all the suggestions for yes, sure. Yes, yes. And we'll mention some of them if they're really good. I and mean, if they're excellent, so try your best. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Give us some good ideas. We will do them as a mini feature. Exactly. Go on, test us, test us. <laughs> all right. So, Phil, why don't you quickly tell people where they can find you online? Yes, uh, as well as doing the podcast, uh, you can find me at liftforfilms.com and all the associated social media channels. And we do movie news, reviews, interviews, TV stuff, comic book stuff, and lots of other things. Oh, cool art as well, things like that. And Mike, where can they find you? Well, the best place to find me is at wordsoutloud.com. That is the creative hub for all things Mike Spring. And you can find this podcast there. You can find some exclusive fiction. And just for swinging it over there, you can download a whole bunch of cool free things like an audiobook and a digital book. So please stop by there. And you can like me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Official. All right, well, that's going to wrap us up for this episode. As always, we thank you very much for listening. We really do appreciate everybody who tunes into our show here. We have a lot of fun recording it, so we hope you're having fun listening to it. Yes, yes. Thank you, everyone. And because we've, we've cracked uh, some, some big numbers, haven't we, on the downloads? Yeah, yeah. Things are definitely uh, things are going in an upward direction for us. I'm yeah. not trying to brag, but I will say we're not doing too bad, our little podcast here. Yeah. We're doing so- better than rubbish. <laughs> that's right. always that's, good. That's not nothing. <laughs> yeah, but as, as Batman says, I want you to tell all your friends about us. There you go. That's right. You got to do your Christian Bale impression now. I'm Batman. <laughs> Swear to me. Swear to me. Oh, it's, it's like I'm in the room with Christian Bale. It is. I'm it's... just going to go shout at the sound guy for holding the boom too close. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this in time. In my line. Get out the way. <laughs> Oh, it, it is uncanny, Phil. Uncanny. I know. I think I might go on tour. You should. You should. I think it's yeah. a one-man show waiting it's to It's going to be called a Try to Fish Tour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Well, now that we've worked that in, I think it's time to cut this off. So until next week, I am Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. Well, anyway, um, this is, uh, as we said, blah, 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 blah. blah. Oh, what's good? Oh, crap. Oh, no, God. When I was writing it down, if you know when you turn the page, I've turned two pages, so I just turned the page and it was blank. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Go back for just a second. Why is society crumbling? Because I was... Because uh, the new president is uh, a plonker. <laughs> do you ever find out what agency they're from? I can't remember if you do. Who, the X-Files? No, the... Uh, oh, the, the government agents in this film? Yeah. I don't know. It's just like a nameless government agency, yeah, I think isn't so. it? They're just dudes in white suits. Yeah. But not like cool white suits, like with ties and stuff, you know. I know, like, and they like all have biohazard like... suits. Yeah. Naff ones. It'd be a very different movie if they had cool white suits with like ties yeah. and sunglasses. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. All right. So uh Next week on yeah. Cool White Suits of the Movies. <laughs> Mulder orders his men to subdue E. T. Just as they're about to just as they're about to yeah okay it makes sense why you know it's helpful when i type words that make sense i don't always do that apparently <laughs> and america had ronald reagan uh, who ended up getting shot in the chest but survived why why are you laughing at that i was just it just the way not not wasn't laughing at the fact he was shot in the chest it's just the way it goes <laughs> yeah cut out me laughing because it wasn't funny i, I know just the way it was yeah <laughs> okay I mean, obviously, I think we can look back at it now. It's not quite as traumatic as it was, yeah. but it's just like, you're like, yeah, yeah got shot in the chest but lived. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Good times. Curses foiled again. <laughs> I'm not saying I shot him in the chest, by the way. <laughs> Let's move on. That's not your own brave. What was uh
Have you done your both your ten? I and skipped your nine? my number nine. Why don't I yeah, do I that all that, over yeah. again? Yeah. <laughs> I can't count backwards. I was, I was panicking then. No, I was going, sorry. I had no recollection my of your fault. number nine. Yep. I was going, whatever. Yeah, Did thanks for paying out? attention, Phil. You don't even remember my number nine. Well, I was panicking then. I'd had sort of, you know, just. <laughs> You're so busy with it's your okay. impressions, you don't even listen to what I'm yeah. saying. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Fond memories of watching that one. Pegasus, I, was I meant, not Unicorn. Pegasus, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not Uni. Yeah. <laughs> Meh. Uh, yeah. Uni, no. <laughs> What's that? They would have got home so many times what? if they just left uni. What's? Uh, oh yeah, from Dungeons and Dragons. That's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. God. That. So many times as a kid, I'm going, let's leave the little. Bloody... <laughs> he doesn't even come from Earth. He belongs yeah. on the Dungeons and Dragons world. Just, just leave him in his natural habitat. Yeah. If you bring Uni back with you, he's going to get cut up. You know, <laughs> right, dissected. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's right. And if you'd like to email us directly, you can reach us at. If you'd like to eat, blah, 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 blah. Yep, it's because it's the end. So, of course, <laughs> I have to start messing up. Yeah. <laughs>